time is stuttering. Time is repeating itself. Actually, that's good news. What do we know? Well, yesterday, today, tomorrow, before, now, after. All of this is timelines. Everything we know actually has one. Even the most of the material of ideas has some historical chronology. It comes from here, it goes there. This is true for the smallest particle as much as through the largest ones. We, they, everything has and creates some chronology, some history. And yet, despite this mechanical succession of events, the chronology of past and future, today seems always more and more like yesterday. These days, today seems like yesterday, yesterday like today, tomorrow like yesterday. This is like being in a wider and wider time spiral. The time loop gets bigger and bigger. Just look at the, this place. Doc Martens are back again. Top Gun in the movies is back also again. Neither are bad, actually. Both are extremely good. We rehash without an end everything and anything. Our screens continuously project back to us some kind of repeat. This is true for politics. This is true for societies. This is true for economical events. Everything seems to leap in and on itself. Well, let's have a look. Parliaments implode, like in the early 20th century. The institutions dilute again in scandals, one after the other, when it's not WHO, UNICEF, UN. These are national parliaments, regional parliaments like the European one. Magnates rise and fall. The Elon Musk of tomorrow are basically the Carnegies of yesterday. They are gurus or robber barons, depending on your own personal politics. And yet, despite this, the past is not anymore that ballroom picture from The Shining. Do you remember it? Time frozen forever. Actually, in our days, time stutters, and it is a good thing. So yes, like in The Matrix, a black cat can be crossing the threshold. But this time around, what it resets is not a new linear timeline. What it resets is a new set of preconditions, which we fix. This is a new storied series of events. And inevitably and logically, it used to lead to today, if not tomorrow, but we recreate it, we recombine it. The past today is much more than a series of events frozen forever. Frozen forever for our present. Frozen forever only in our current timeline. Past today is a collection of ideas, a collection of choices, a collection of opportunities which we can and we do re-excavate, reinterpret, recombine. And this potentially, infinitely, obviously. And these recombinations, these recreations, actually recreate our contemporary realities, our today. We used to say yesterday is a given, today is a puzzle, and tomorrow an opportunity. Well, 
this is not so much the case anymore, is it? We continuously recycle timelines. We reinterpret them. We rearrange them. And while we do so, there is something which disappears. What disappears is this sense of inevitability. We like to think in linear time frames. This cannot change. Yet, time, our own time, moves in so many new, in so many other ways. Our individual timelines remains, per definition, a chronological necessity, a chronological reality. Why? Well, because biologically, cells are born, cells live, cells die. So do we. But we transcend this unchangeable narrative, this immovable story, to actually transform what used to be fixed, the timeline, into something entirely new. The new narratives are not a series of chronological sequels. They are a recombination of elements which allow us to recreate new experiences. Indeed, however much we would like it, time, timeline, time structures remain actually one of the fundamental elements of life, one of the fundamental structures of our life. Chronology is kind of a stamped succession of events which underpins absolutely everything. Yes, there are many questions which this very simple sentence raises, but let's forget for a moment everything that has to do with concomitance, origination, who came first, what came first, what is the original event, and so on and so forth, the creation problems, and so on and so forth, and simply look at how we feel it, how we think it, when we do not sit down, take a cup of coffee and a pen and paper and start trying to organize our thoughts, but how we sense it, how we feel it. Let's look at a timeline as some kind of traceable line of event. This timeline is not only for us personally, it's not only for us individually. This is also one of the fundamental elements which allow us to share with people, to exchange with people. This transcends, this is much more important, in my opinion, than the accuracy of the record, which can be perfect, the accuracy of the recollection, which will either always be biased, will always be one-sided, our own one-sided, however clever we think we are, how many sources we think we have to look at this life in a different way. Our timeline, the timeline, the fact that there is a yesterday, today and tomorrow, the way that today I'm older than yesterday and every single minute that passes, I'm getting older. There is no way around it, as far as we know so far. Well, this creates a universal language among all living creatures. We can even actually give an age to a rock. We can say whether a rock came before us. Usually they do. We can say if a cat lives longer or slower. We can say even if a mayfly has reached the, uh, the, uh, the apex of its life. This universal language is much more than a simple biological language. 
it gives us a social marker. For example, I was on holidays and then I came back home last night. Gives you a wealth of information beyond the simple timestamps. This is actually the timeline is a basic registration of events in our life. And the fact that we recognize a common way to mark time gives us a way to actually compare match with our experience with others. A timeline creates actually the basics, creates a seized of a shared reality. This is the fractional elements which allow us to actually share, exchange, compare, weave our own life with everybody else's. This, by the way, will give us as well the elements to establish our own relevance, not to say significance. I lived through the same stuff as you did at the same time, or not, or later, or earlier. I was there before you. I was an ancient where you were a young guy. Guess what? All civilizations, all social surroundings have some form of notion of it. Else, why would we need to invent in a gaming environment the notion of noob versus veteran or any combination thereof? In a broader way, this not only creates this possibility to compare our timelines among each other, it gives us as well the occasion to mark broad lines comparable across groups and across individuals. I was there at the World Cup final. I saw the World Cup final live or not. Uh, we were all watching the moon landing or not. The event themselves have a relevance on their own, but it's not so much their relevance, their importance, if you want, than the fact that they were there and that they mark for ourselves some common shared tick marks. These time markers, before anything else, before how important they are in anybody's timeline, are important because they exist and because they are easily recognizable by everybody. First and foremost, events mark actually moments before they actually create any kind of relevance. So when we define our own timelines, what we do is actually is to gather, to record a chronology of events, a sequence of events, which we deem significant, but not only significant, which we deem also recognizable by everybody else. These events hence are chosen for their importance. Why? Well, essentially because we are told they are significant. Whomever will take as a sequence in their life, as a time stick in their own life, an event which nobody knows about or which nobody understands. Well, this is how some events come to define entire generation. And again, not because they mean something. It's a special for anyone or anything, but because they are recognized as the marker for everybody. This gives us a feeling that we share something, that we are together in this. Let's take some. Apollo landed, the wall collapsed, 
we won the World Cup. The Twin Towers went down, Kabul fell, and so on and so forth. Obviously, on top of these generic events, on top of these civilization, human events, if you want, well, there are other events which actually impact our own lives in much deeper ways. Simply, this is our own personal timeline. This is our own personal sequence, our own personal sequence of events which we find significant for us. These events, however deep or however generic or however broad, they may be about time speed, time beats. Let's remember the first day we went to school. This is probably for our parents, or this was probably for our parents, quite an important day. Do you remember it? Vaguely and certainly not the same way as my parents did. The date? Can't, can't remember. Probably my parents would have remembered it, but I don't. And yet, it is a huge time bid in my own chronology, in my own timeline. In theirs, at the moment, certainly, later on, certainly not. This was a personal event. This was purely an individual event, I may say, but this is just to illustrate the fact that we individually choose a string of such events as to create a relevant chronology. This in and by itself creates a personal relevance above and beyond the historical one. This succession of events provides us with a built-in shareable background. All of this is the past. So even before going into the future of how we are going to use the past, let's recognize that our existing future decades ago, years ago, was already a pick-and-choose kind of a situation. This choice of historical markers, this choice of individual, social, national, regional, global, gives us a significance, gives, gives us a relevance within the overall human history. They are essentially a shareable background of our own individual narratives. This is a reality which most probably you have encountered if you try to discuss with an international crowd the 19th century, for example. I do not know two people coming from two continents who share the same view as to what are the prominent events of the 19th century. So in this shared human experience, there is obviously an element of inevitability. There is something which we cannot avoid. This is what I would call a biological necessity to it. This is rather simple. This is rather direct. This has nothing intellectual about it. This need for chronology is probably linked, in my opinion, to a very basic biological reality. Let's have a look at our very simple human life experience as a species. At the heart of it, this logic accompanies every single aspect of our own life, 
our own body actually gives us some hint of a time uh, past. Our own body gives us a measurement of the time passing. It records, it measures, it even warns us on actually what happens. Our hair is growing, the nails are growing, our teeth are decaying, our teeth are, are eroding, our skin ages, and so on and so forth. And this is nothing which you discover in your old age. This is something which you actually discover very, very early in your life. Why? Because your clothes grow too small very, very fast. And hence, from our early years, we feel this need, this urge to actually manage this timeline, manage this sequence of events. And we define, consciously again or not, rhythms, cadences, and frames of interpretation for all of these apparently random events. So biologically, we are compelled to try and organize our own reality and first and foremost, the timeline. We try to give it a sense. We try to give it a significance, obviously. However, this also impacts our own understanding of our own life. Let's take a very simple example. A generation, in theory, neutrally defines your background. It defines your age, practically speaking. It defines also your experience. This is what you went through. This is what happened in your background. That is factually measurable. It has more or less influence, but all of that is actually fact, hard facts. But look at today, and we are not so far off from having some kind of generational horoscope. This generation will be moody, that generation will feel entitled, this generation had a lot of opportunity, hence were entrepreneurs, this generation is actually arrogant and needy, and so on and so forth, and so on and so forth. This is not really new, but this is really a game which has gone on since the 20s and the invention of the post-war generation. Why do we attach so much importance, and increasingly so, on generational definitions? Actually, when you look at our current landscape, the tag boomer was a marker for the very generation that invented itself as an exception to the previous one. This was the invention of youth as a social category, of youth as a value, much more than a scientific fact, an age. And then this youth became the baby boomers and their kids, the hippies, and so on and so forth. We still do define generations as we used to. There was a before, there will be an after, and we have more and more and more wise, very wise conversations about what are the time boundaries of this generation. Are the millennials until 97 or 2000? Are the Zoomers post 2000 only, or slightly before 2000. Strangely enough, it seems that totally unexpectedly, people even today try to feel and be and register themselves as younger and younger and younger. How many millennials are actually Zoomer not knowing? 
Well, you can try and define these generations by positive factual evidence, by technical, technological logics beyond the figure, the casual way they were born on that day or in that year. So, for example, on technology is one of the traditional ways to, to actually uh, classify them is um, radios were actually the uh, Second World War generation. TV was actually the boomer generation. Computer was Gen X. Internet, the millennials. And so the Zoomers, obviously, social media. For the alphas, we don't know yet, but probably we will come up with a very clever technology and or software definition. Maybe the metaverse, who knows? But these boundaries are not universally recognized as hard fact, and they seem less and less and less different to me than what we used to formally recognize as hard science, that is the influence of the Moon, the influence of Mars or Pluto or Venus, which, by the way, were as measurable and as factually observable as all of that. Yet, despite biological imperatives, despite logical imperatives, we move now into an era where I think we realize that young is no better than old. Old, not better than young, per se. And I just want to take one very simple fact, which is puzzling to me, which is the sudden nostalgia for drabest, dullest decades in our history, such as, for example, the 80s. Yes, I'm looking at stranger things. Individually, I think as much as collectively as a society, as humankind, we look for significance in timelines, in events, chronologies. We love, we need, we try to define a before and an after, as a matter of fact. This simple activity gives us direction, gives us purpose, significance in many cases. Yes, over time, we have started to look at it differently. And we have started, indeed, interpreting this very simple, very factual observation into something more. Indeed, we try to find significance in the meta-interpretation of these timelines, the sense of destiny, the sense of fate, because we like to find a significance in our life. But beyond this, we looked at timelines as sequences of events, as some kind of immutable reality. There was a yesterday, and in this yesterday, we did this like that, because this, because that. And then we analyze, we interpret, we rationalize, we try to give a value to these conditions. And this yesterday led to today because of this, because of that. So, hence, we justify actually today because of the way we interpret yesterday. This is natural, this is human, there is nothing mysterious about it. This gives you, on the scientific side of things, physics, this gives you historiography. On the personal side of it, it gives you all the logical or paralogical sciences, such as, for example, psychology. 
So from chronology, from the physical sequence between before and after, we weave actually a significant, we weave actually continuity. From a very factual, a very scientific, a very logical factual element, which is to define this chronology, to define a timeline, we weave continuities. These continuities indeed give significance, or we try and find significance. The past, as we make it, is actually a combination of elements which we organize, which we recall, but they remain at heart, and this is the, the danger, if you want, this is the, the, the material reality of it, a series of individual realities, of individual events. It is their rearrangement, their interpretation, that is in itself a recreation. It is a recreation, however scientific, however stamped, however peer-reviewed it may be, it remains a recreation. And it helps us individually to frame our own timeline. This is why there are so many pushbacks on historians or fake historians or pseudo-historians or television historians, whatever you want to call it. Because actually, if you start to redefine, to rearrange, to recreate, reinterpret the series of facts which are labeled past, then you actually lead to a different today, a different interpretation of today. So how do I know that this is absolutely critical in humankind to actually remember inverted commas properly? Well, to do that, let's, we just need to look at the effort we spent on remembering properly as a species. Indeed, how do we do that? Well, by definition, memories, events, are but instants in time. They have different nature, they have different contents, they have different durations. Some events may last centuries, some events may last a fraction of a second. But as a species, we have always been desperate to register them. Indeed, either to kill or to remember are the two essential springs, the two essential vectors of discoveries of memories. I can think of from the top of my head, transportation as well, of course, but these two are the most prominent. How to remember? Well, we remember in stones, statues and so on. We remember on stones, tablets and so on. Either we remember figuratively, we, we draw the event, we paint the event, we sculpt the event, we try to imprint the event, and since actually time immemorial. This must say that we have some special importance, we have some special relationship to keeping these memories, to keeping these souvenirs alive. For this, we used handprints, we used sticks, we used beads, we used rope knots, we used statues, we used paint, we used photos, we used videos, hologram tomorrow. We, we may have even live recordings of, of, uh, of an event on 3D and so on and so forth, elements which we can project directly to the brain, whatever you can imagine. And truth is, actually, we always need a support which is exterior to our body, 
non-material preservation of cultures, of memories, have not worked out so well. Just remember the Celts and the Druids. We don't know actually anything about the history, the memories, the organization of the Celts, but what we can deduce and what we can invent, what we can actually re deduct from observation on the Celts. So with the Indias, Incas, we, we do have these hundreds of thousands of records which we can't make any head or tail on the quipus. But whichever and whatever the method of preservation we used as a species, we have to recognize that forever is something that never exists. We lost the significance, we lost the memory, we lost the, the intent behind the picture. And even when we build on monumental sizes like Luxor, we know we built a temple and off. And of course, we know more and more and more on the elements within that, but what was the original event and what was the actual intent, we can only guess at however clever, however scientifically we do that. This means that our significance, our timeline significance here as a group, as much as, as an individual, is quite relative, quite contingent to these chronologies. And of course, we could be recording for something else than posterity or for the memory or because we really don't want to forget this or that event. We can be recording, we can be registering, we can be actually creating timelines for scientific inquiry. And as, as you maybe know, one of the first recording of events, which is the um, Assyrian tablets, the cuneiform tablets, well, they were created actually to, to record the exchange of crops, to record actually the output of fields. And hence, we can say that the record was originally created for scientific purposes and to track actually the yield of crops in a particular area. And so when we try to create this timeline scientifically, when we try and record the passing of time, the succession of events, we have to have a whole host of activities behind it to just try and discern patterns. What do we try to do? Well, obviously the pattern itself, but primarily inflection point, turning point, success, relative success, obviously, milestones, elements which make us go, ah, there is a change there. Indeed, with a theme which we have already seen, probably we can infer that science sprung up from maybe not crop studying, maybe this was only in one area, but what we do know is that around the world, the number one science which inspired everybody was stargazing, to actually try and guess cycles, we can say scientific cycles of temperatures, scientific cycles of seasons, and to be able to guess when it would be more profitable to plant or harvest and maybe to migrate or for any other reason. But stargazing in itself, the observation, the creation of cycles, the creation of time cycles, times lines, was one of the first 
scientific fundaments. Well, recording this, recording the change, and finding out natural scientific laws requires, creates, influences, powers the research of a time frame, of a timeline. This is nothing which will change even with the recency of data which we observe right now. This is not because you've got more and more and more data of more and more and more and more values of more and more and more nature that basically we can miss anything. The question is not anymore to be able to record or to be able to record more and more and more things, more and more and more precisely. We can record down to the atomic side. Basically, the idea now is that against the former scarcity of observation, we now have to deal with a dearth of observation. We have too many observations. We've got too many, too many records. We've got too much data to look at. And the know-how, the expertise comes now from looking at the right thing, or at least looking at the right thing with an S in the right way to be able to deduct some kind of hindsight. And therefore, with a minimum leap of logic, we see that from actually trying to preserve the few observations we had, the limited set of data we had, we have now gone the polar opposite, which is we've got so much data, we've got so many memories, so many souvenirs to actually keep for the present, for the last X amount of years, that we are on the edge or in danger of collapsing under this data. But at the very same time, this opens up a complete opportunity. And this opportunity is to completely rethink what is a timeline, to completely rethink what is a chronology, and actually accept the fact that we have we created the possibility to change the very nature the frozen nature of chronological events, to actually make them into bites of observations, of ideas, of opportunities, which we can recombine, recreate. The interpretation of events, the combination of events into a timeline, into a continuity, has always occurred. Now we have the possibility to not choose one and one only interpretation, but to have a continuous logic in recreating continuities as they match closer and closer and closer to our reality today. Without realizing it, and only by looking, observing around us, we can see, we can guess at it. We have created a new opportunity to use the past. So indeed, let's have a look around. And indeed, on this very theoretical approach, let's just, you know, listen, watch, hear, touch, smell, sense what is happening right now. We used to assume that the past was a frozen thing. The interpretation we knew could be redone. We knew that the recombination of the past of past events was simply a matter of the advancements of science. And that every single hour, every single day, would bring new interpretations and complementary analysis and so on and so forth. But apart from the realm of theoretical physics or science fiction, 
there was no way to actually change the past. The past was a frozen set of events. Events create their own trail. This is nothing new. We know that events impact actually history as much as history is a trail of events. The past is actually more like a snail trail than anything else. We know that changing it is difficult or impossible, but changing the way we look at it and changing the way we use it is still up for grabs. Used to be frozen, is not frozen anymore. We use it, we recombine it, we restructure it as it fits today for opportunities today. And this happens under our very eyes. Let's have a look. So, from afar, history does seem to stutter. It does seem to repeat itself. And frankly, the reflex of most, me included, whenever events unfold right now in 2020, is basically to look at uh, some kind of sketchy, badly understood, badly played, badly reenacted version of the 20s or the 30s. The Black Friday collapse, the rise of the extreme right, of intolerance, you know, economic crisis, energy crisis. You can't heat your houses anymore. The price of energy has shotted up through the roof like it would be in 1910. But in this, we look also at the very same time at that past, not anymore as some kind of frozen gallery of portraits, badly painted, badly photographed, grainy, grainy movies. Look just at Netflix or Amazon Prime. It's not only the documentaries, it's not only the series, not only even the titles of the series, which seem to blur decades between the 60s and today. It is pictures, it is actors, it is themes, it is everything which seems to be meshed, which seems to be rolled up into one. We have at the same time four, five, six generations of Star Trek, from Star Trek Below Decks to the original Star Treks at the very same time, on the very same channel. We've got actually periods talking to each other, criticizing each other. We've got documentaries on Charles Manson, repeated, re-echoed by movies from Quentin Tarantino, one upon, once upon a time in Hollywood, down to the actual hardcore newfangled documentary about Charles Manson himself and his group and the interpretation and what it meant at the period and so on and so forth. We've got both the hard facts, the listing, the chronological facts, as much as we've got the interpretation or the uber interpretation. We've got Tokyo dramas on Lucy, We've got the original series of Lucy. And look at the cherry on the cake of them all, Stranger Things, which remains and which is successful for being some kind of bad caricature of the 80s as the people either remember them or would like to remember them more precisely. Fundamentally, any size of LCD screens from our smartphones to our TV seems nothing bar some kind of infinite loop. The list of remakes, reshapes, themes from the past, the death of Brian Jones, and so on, goes on and on and on, and does not seem to head any kind of 
repeat or stop at the moment. Okay, still don't believe me, still not convinced. Just head for any party around you, any age group. What is very likely is that the music the DJ will play will be the same regardless of your inverted comma generation. Regardless of your age bracket, regardless of your taste, it is very likely that the music will be the very same. This has been proven again and again. This has been studied again and again. And in the blog, I give you some examples of these um, playlists. But you could tell me, yeah, it's because you're Pascal, you were born then, and hence your age is speaking. So let's head for a university party. Let's head for a student's party. Let's head for a school's party. The last time I did so, a couple of weeks back, a couple of months back, more than 70% of the music was what I would describe as archaeological or even historical. And don't get me started whether or not I liked it. I can only tell you that it was historical, either from the 60s, the 70s, or the 80s. The 90s even are making some kind of comeback. And we do see, you do see on the streets, some pretty nifty t-shirts or hoodies from Thunderdome. But hey, music is music. Music could be eternal. After all, we still listen to Mozart, right? But what about images? What about books? What about pictures? Well, we do know that we are moving from a frozen picture, a frozen experience, to an experience, experiential memory. Take us something which, in my youth, was history at its very best, World War I. Do you remember when World War I were full of black and white people moving like, uh, you know, some kind of jittery uh, robots, uh, all stick figures, wrong size, wrong shape, very thin, very tall, but first and foremost, black and white. Well, beyond that, over the couple of last years, we do know that these people were not black and white and not stick men and not tall and thin. They were young, they were dynamic, they were funny. They had colors. This is actually the, the success, in my opinion, of the documentary from Peter Jackson, They Shall Not Grow Old. All the rest, the story and so on, is an interest, but he really succeeded in making that generation live. In a word, he transformed them from stickmen to humans. We understand why one of these guys with their moustache and uh, their jokes and, and their movements and, and their dreadful life, frankly, in the trenches, wrote actually the Lord of the Rings. We understand that they are humans. Take things which we all share, dinosaurs. Dinosaurs used to be these big, roaring lizards, you know, with scaly skins. Actually, this is where the word dinosaur comes from, thunder lizards, right? But now, well, they don't really roar. They chirp. They don't have leathery skin. It's likely that they had actually bloody feathers. Well, all of that means that we are using the past in a different way. So let's move on from 
these examples to something much more structural, technologies. We used to actually classify progress depending on the technology, the fuel technology, the heating technology, the transportation technology we were using. There was animal power, the wheel, up to water, up to steam power, up to electricity, oil, nuclear, and plasma, and maybe some kind of esoteric new energy tomorrow, potentially solar power and so on and so forth. Not solar panels, solar power. But this was not only for ourselves, this was not some, some kind of idea to actually classify or rank human history. After all, this would be only a story of 200 years, 300 years. And hence, we had brilliant ideas for us to classify even alien civilization. That was important in our personal understanding of history, that you had some kind of chronology around technology. And we used to plan to actually rank and register alien civilization depending on their locomotion fuel, whether they were using, you know, technologies to move between uh, galaxies which were linked to solar energy and so on and so forth. All of that has got to be rethought. After all, look at our own reality in 2022. We are thinking about going back to our good old fire, our good old wood. This is called wood stove. This is called, you know, water bores done in, in the ground to actually heat our houses. So the technology themselves, the fuel, the nature of it is not anymore part of this chronology. We have taken as well the technology, reinvented them, we are updating them, and we do not seem to think anymore about the past or the old technology as per se a bad one. After all, and this is a bit of a joke, obviously, we have reenacted all of the coal stations. Yet again, I'm not tackling the why. I'm just tackling the fact that a lot of energy used to be spent on reinterpreting the past to make it give a sense, a significance to today. And this has completely changed because we create not one, but many new narratives as they needed, as they are needed, as they fit our current requirements for today and for tomorrow. The past in itself used to have an intrinsic value in and by itself. Remember the amount of societies which were organized around the world, the word, sorry, of the ancient, well, in our own so-called democracies, we do have entire parliaments which are organized around the fact that we have senior people to tell us how much better all is. Ever wondered where the word Senate come from? and how much it sounds like seniors. I'm not saying that they have more senior moment than anything else, but the truth is that our societies are moving into something where old is not better per se, young neither is better per se. We do not tend to see, and we should not see, in my opinion, the past as whether it is 200, 350, five or thousand years ago as a golden age or as a golden past or on the contrary as the dark ages this is simply a list a group a collection of ideas a collection of choices made then 
which we actually can break down, reuse, recycle to actually create something new, something different. What we use to revere, what we use to freeze, what we use to worship is actually nothing else than something which we can recombine, which we are recombining into a new reality. Okay, let me take a break here and put on the side one argument which could be immediately coming up to your mind, which is the famous argument of, hmm, is your age creeping up? Scroll your feed. Scroll, read, look at your newspaper, switch on your TV, listen to your radio, all of that depending on your generation, supposedly, right? Well, do you feel been there, done that? Do you feel, yeah, already heard about that? Or do you feel, hmm, these are new elements and let's look at my own personal library of past on demand? So the question here is not so much anymore, hmm, it's already happened in the past. The question now is, how can we make it better for tomorrow? Well, obviously we know what could happen if we are just recycling over and over and over and over again. Let's imagine that we stick to the 1900s parliaments, fractioned political landscapes, just waiting for the next Bolsheviks to come up or to the next anarchists to come up or to the next fascists. Well, we know the outcome, but after all, recycling is one of the traps which are laid in front of us. We can see this example, for example, in fashion. Fashion not only came up with, on its best day, the inspiration for Zoolander and the caricature of the famous one and only collection called Derelict, or how to recycle, how to use actually the garments of tramps, garments of people in the street, homeless people, to actually create some kind of fashion definitive, to create some kind of fashion collection. Actually, this is not an invention from Zoolander, but maybe you do remember the collection from Galliano in 2001. Well, the parody itself has been parodied, pun intended, pillaged, and redone again and again and again with a frequency which sometimes seems like you know, cyclical, well, let's say four to five years. Look as well to the nth degree of meta-jokes. Look at the amount of time which we try to recreate not even the event in and by itself, but the success of the event. Look at, for example, rings and power. Even when you've got the right ideas, the right audience, the right intention, and the right combination of brains to actually propel any of recombination of the past into a new future, you still can get side effects. Talking about TV, you can have, talking about Vikings, a series as good as Vikings, as much as you can have a dot, like The Last Kingdom. Same elements, same period, same character. Actually, same chronology, historically speaking. Same history, and yet two radically different outcomes. So this is where digging back 
into the past can be as well a huge opportunity as much as it can be a threat. What's the probable solution here? Well, in all of the cases I just described, in all of the questions I just raised, I think that for me, the difference comes from understanding the essence of what we try to recapture, we try to recreate, or we try to improve before anything else. If we've got the essence of it right, we can make it better. We can make it look good. We can make it even look greater than the first iteration. And I will take again a very common example to all of us. Look at Top Gun. Everybody was expecting that it would be a complete disaster. And actually, we do have the same guys. Tick. We have the same story. Tick. We have the same music, actually. We've got the same planes, even the historical ones. We do have more or less the same stunts, or nearly the same. We've got the same enemies, would I dare say. And we've got a movie which is as good as, if not better than, the original. So what happened here? Well, each and every single one of these elements was brought down to its core, to its essence. And the same is possible in fashion, the possible in music, in any content. It is possible in everyday economic decisions or politics. Tomorrow will be a different iteration of yesterday. And why? Because this time, this is what our ancestors, I think, wanted. The ability to relieve and improve continuously, refine the past in moving laterally as much as we move forward. We do know that the notion of future, the notion of tomorrow, the future, the, the, the notion of what and where we are going has changed over time. And, and it took the Renaissance to reinstigate, if not invent entirely, the idea of a future. This is where you've got stories such as Gargantua or the, the Baron of Munchausen actually came out, which were the first iteration of, of science fiction, of projecting yourself into the future. Our life would be, our life tomorrow would be. This was accelerated in the 19th century. But what the dream was is how to make it better. And here the idea is that, yet again, the past is not anymore some kind of frozen venerate, uh, veneration which we should have. This is not an object of to display. This is not a frozen reality. This is an, a living element of ideas, of experiences, of choices, which could lead us, if we do not have any kind of intellectual laziness, into new creativity. We are not, I'm not looking for nostalgia. I'm not looking for stranger things. I'm trying to recombine these elements as our ancestors dreamt of to actually create a new and a better tomorrow. So essentially here, while we can argue, we can discuss the individual historical events, fixed, frozen, will not change. However, our interpretations will and always will be changing. But the way we look at the past is ra rather radically different. This creates a completely new past, which is not the preserve of every, anyone, which is not the uh, kept ideas of a few, but on the contrary, is the most common shared reality of all of humankind.
it does create de facto a new past. This is not an idyllic, eternally enshrined time. This is not anything else but a dynamic, mineable collection of ideas, of prospects, of projects that we could potentially eternally recombine into new opportunities and experiences. This is the case, for example, for music. Why not make it into any and every single experiences in our life? Thanks for listening. Talk to you very soon.